as I always say, fifth time's a charm. Let's try this joke one more time. No, wait. Shh. Do you see it over there? It's sleeping like a perfect little angel. It looks so cute. Wait, what have I done? I awoke it. Everybody run. It's the who gag. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios, our fifth episode of season two. This is once again Matt, joined by who most people would say is a shoe in as a first ballot contender for the Hobby Hall of Fame, Angel. <laughs> week after week, you indulge me with little snippets into your life, the little things you do when not researching cryptids or being consumed by your crippling, crippling addiction to playing your fantasy athlete game. <laughs> One of your one of your newer hobbies ties into your love of the unexplained and your penchant for crafting things with your hands, which we've heard about before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes spherical balls of dirt, sometimes trains, a whole slew of things. But now combined with your love of musical instruments. So tell me a bit about this one. With your extensive knowledge of woodland instruments, the clarinets, oboes, the flutes of the world, you designed... A modified contrabassoon, the deepest sounding of all the woodwind orchestral instruments. The intention was to modify it to sound like a skunk ape hooting in the swamps of Florida to try and lure one out for a picture. I must ask, what does this contrabassoon sound like and how has the hunt been going? Well, I don't have a, a, a the prototype with me. I have it stored safely in my apartment because I'm in my bunker right now. As I mentioned earlier, uh, well, I mentioned last episode, I'm still in that bunker trying to stay safe. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of sounds like a. <clears throat> I'm still working on working out the kinks because that's not quite what a skunk ape sounds like. But, you know, and I modeled it after the contra bassoon because, well, I mean, oof, I mean, it's obvious, you know. It was remarkably close to the sound of, of Gunther from the movie The Fun House, a, a absolutely wonderful horror movie from the 80s. Uh, not many people know this, but Gunther is modeled after the skunk game. Or is, is the contrabassoon modeled after Gunther? No, no, no. Uh, one of the most fascinating things I've seen of the contrabassoon is that it can be like eight feet long. How do you travel with this thing out into the swamps, Angel? I mean, anyone that knows musical instruments, you know, you would take it apart and put it into small in small compartments. Come on. It just it takes about like 45 minutes to put together, but it's worth it. What is the read on this thing like when you blow into it? That thing must be like the size of a piece of sandpaper. It's uh, it's it's actually is sandpaper. <laughs> That's what gets the extra base out of it yeah it's um it's really bad on the lips but you know i mean to get that sound out you sometimes you just you got gotta it, yep. sacrifice you know some blood yep just play through the pain Skunk exactly. must be found <laughs> and that goes into your newest addiction of chapstick 
<laughs> yep. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't make the connection, but now that you say it, yeah, that that's exactly right. And the the glaring abrasions that you now have <laughs> on your lips that I can see, it's quite concerning. Uh, yeah. Well, that may have been from something. Eh, you know, let's not get into that. So with another crazy hobby being covered, Angel, why don't we jump into a few news stories? So this one, it's, I swear, it's the gift that keeps on giving. The monolith continues. And even with our recording schedule and how this uh, ends up playing out, by the time this airs, it's probably still going to be already super out of date for how fast this uh, story is moving along. Yes. But... It continues on from unexplainedmysteries.com, the article titled, Mysterious Monoliths Are Continuing to Appear. Oh, dear. Ain't no stomping them now. So it goes on. Despite an art group claiming responsibility, more monoliths have been showing up around the world. It's fast turning into 2020's biggest unexplained phenomenon, metal monoliths inspired by 2001, a space odyssey that have been turning up at locations across the world in recent weeks. First, there is one in Utah, then another in Romania, followed by a third in California. At the time, Art Collective, the most famous artist, claimed responsibility for two monoliths in the United States and began selling replicas on its website for 45 thousand dollars a piece this doesn't seem to have stopped the artifacts from showing up elsewhere however with the group seemingly denying that it has had anything to do with the monoliths that have appeared since the monolith is out of my control at this point said group founder maddie mo <laughs> godspeed to all the aliens working hard around the globe to propagate the myth god <laughs> earlier this month another of the enigmatic structures appeared on a beach on the Isle of Wight, uh, then another was found standing in the middle of a field in Bas Road, Belgium. Further reports of monoliths have since emerged in Spain, Germany, Colombia, and Texas. They're after the goddamn chocolate out there, <laughs> Angel. <laughs> after the cave chocolates. Uh, it goes on to say, at least one of these can be explained, however, thanks to artist Tom Dunford, who came forward to claim that he was responsible for creating the one that was found on the Isle of Wight. If the aliens were to come down, I think they'd go for the safest place, which is the Isle of Wight, in Tier 1 COVID restrictions, he told BBC News. So are all the monoliths simply pieces of copycat art inspired by the original one in Utah? It seems that the phenomenon has taken on a life of its own. So what are your thoughts here, Angel? The monoliths will not be denied. Well, I mean, it's like I said before. You know, Matty Moe's friend said, Matty Moe, we want Moe monoliths. And by <laughs> God, they gave him Moe monoliths. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the same thing. Uh, is it art imitating life or life imitating art? So did did some artist put a monolith down and then... Alien said, yeah, let's do that, and then started doing that. <laughs> yeah. The the first thing I think of, even as I was reading it, it brought me, my mind, to Spring-Heeled Jack and how, like, quickly copycat sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack just sort of started appearing in the streets of London. And this feels like a, a, a replica of that scenario, minus the assaulting of women in the streets of London. <laughs> the monoliths haven't gotten that far. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This could be like a modern 
day kind of a mass hysteria type thing. You know, the Spring Hill Jack was what happened back then. And in the 2020s, it's going to be monoliths. This abstract, <laughs> abstract geometric shape. People could just develop different ideas about what they can do. I think I'd rather have Spring Hill Jack, to be honest. <laughs> Shoving little girls down the sewers? No. <laughs> I think more the uh, the guy jumping over the football field. <laughs> and then the guy was like, oh my god, it's Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what's stopping us? That monolith is Spring Hill Jack. You know what? He could use these to teleport <laughs> mm-hmm. around the world. Uh-huh. And that's how he is sighted. That, in so many different places. Oh my God, you're right. You heard it here, folks. So, problem solved. On to the next story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one's kind of interesting, and it, it almost feels like a parallel universe. So we recovered the monoliths and then aliens, because now it's monoliths and aliens again this week. <laughs> so this one a little bit different than our uh, story about the uh, fighter jet pilot who took a picture with his cell phone of a alleged UFO. This one says, also from unexplainedmysteries.com, U.S. Israel in contact with E.T. claims former chief. So it reads on, a retired Israeli security chief has claimed that we've been in contact with the Galactic Federation for years. According to Haim Eshed, who spent 30 years as head of Israel's space security program, both Israel and the United States have been in contact with intelligent extraterrestrials for years. This galactic federation, he claims, made contact as part of their efforts to understand the fabric of the universe and have a base on Mars, which is also home to representatives from both countries. U.S. President Donald Trump is not aware of this, Shed argues, but was also on the verge of disclosing the situation until the Galactic Federation stepped in to stop him from doing so. <laughs> um, they claimed that such a revelation would cause mass hysteria and that humanity first needed to evolve and reach a stage where we will understand what space and spaceships are. If I had come up with what I'm saying today five years ago, I would have been hospitalized, said Ashed. Every place that I have, that I went to at the academy with this, they said, this guy has lost his mind. I have nothing to lose. I've received my degrees and awards. I'm respected in universities abroad, where the trend is also changing. The 87-year-old has now published a book, The Universe Beyond the Horizon, Conversations with Professor Haim Ashed in which he details his experiences. So far, however, no concrete evidence of this alleged Galactic Federation has been forthcoming. So where's your head at here, Angel? What are you thinking? I'm a, I'm already trying to buy this man's book. <laughs> How much is it? <laughs> going to find out right now because that sounds amazing. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. You heard him. He's got all the accolades he needs. Why would he why would he suddenly, you know, tank his career by yep. saying something so nonsensical unless it's absolutely true? He's ready to spill the damn beans. <laughs> I can't seem to find this book. Oh no. <laughs> it's been it's been pulled. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to keep 
it from being available to the public. That's that's what's going the, on. The Galactic Federation stepped in <laughs> once again. First, they stopped Donald Trump from telling the American people about their base on Mars. And now they're stopping a shed from putting his book, The Universe Beyond the Horizon, Conversations with Professor Haim Shed, out to the people. Yeah, this is... I'm going to have to get out of my bunker and protest. Uh, that might be dangerous. <laughs> this is a, this is a cause worth fighting for. So uh, I'm so, uh, one of the things that I I think I found most interesting was first like there's this galactic federation but um so it said they made contact as part of their efforts to understand the fabric of the universe. So by being a galactic federation, I believe by that definition, there already has to be some sort of grouping of various races. Mm-hmm. So they made mm-hmm. contact with the United States and Israel to understand the fabric of the universe. They, they can't do that without us. Um, and they need their base on Mars to do that. Clearly not. We <laughs> have superior brain power. Hello. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if if this man is saying these things, then I believe him wholeheartedly. One thing that I did recall hearing, maybe, uh, I think the last few years, was basically like, if there was one president that was going to spill all the beans on aliens in America and the government and what type of contact the United States government has with, has had with aliens, people have said it would be Donald Trump because he wouldn't be able to keep his mouth shut once he heard about the aliens. That would be something that he would have to tell somebody. But it hasn't happened. So that can either mean one thing or two things, really. Either there is no such thing or maybe he can't keep it secret. Or a third thing. (laughs) I was going to say, third (laughs) thing, the Galactic Federation got to him and they're putting pressure if he tells anyone. Or a fourth thing, he's actually a puppet. Oh, no. <laughs> For the Galactic Federation? Yes! <laughs> Have you heard of the reptilians? <laughs> oh, boy. These are key words here that I'm introducing <laughs> on this show, perhaps to maybe get more curiosities listening in. <sighs> that's, a, that's an effort all on your own there with those key words <laughs> of reptilians and, uh, and the whatnot. I welcome all races. Any final words of the Galactic Federation and their impending control of our part of the universe? Because you can't fight the Galactic Federation. Well, no. I mean, if Star Trek has taught me anything, the Galactic Federation is a good thing. Unless you're on the other side of the Federation. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it's, all, it's all point of view, right? Well, it's again, if Star Trek has taught me anything, if you're on the other side, you also have some impressive firepower, so... I mean, the Borg seem to have been happy with what they were doing. <laughs> exactly. Until Jean-Luc Picard and his merry band of uh, space explorers said, uh-uh. <laughs> Let's colonize the universe. <laughs> with what I would classify as those life-changing stories out of the way, let's now turn our focus to the entity for this week. A potential usurper for the season two mega cryptid known as Santa Claus, the Who Gag. Now, Angel, we all know some weird things can be found out in the woods. Just this season, we have reports from a listener down in Florida 
your neck of the woods about this cackling cave dwelling entity mm-hmm. about a year ago i recall reading stories from park rangers about finding random staircases out in the woods stairs that lead to nowhere and have no indication of purpose or relation to anything else around it we have monoliths appearing around the world that are either art projects or beacons ready to harvest our souls one or the other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yet there are even stranger things out there potentially near the top of that list is the who gag so i must ask is this entity or even the word anything that you have ever seen in your life prior to doing the prep for this episode i've never uttered those sounds before ever in my life unless i was like coughing something so yeah i don't think this has never been i've never heard i mean it's like the hodag i've never heard of that until i looked into it it'd be strange for me to say yeah i've heard of the who gag but the hodag i've never heard of like (laughs) they're they're two the, the two sounds don't yeah i have never never heard of the who gag so let's just dig right into it and find out what we have ahead of us so for the many people who are just like us and have no idea what the hell we're talking about or what this thing looks like the who gag could be described as a prehistoric looking moose without antlers once you look at all its other features though it really starts to look like quite a biological oddity a fully adult who gag it is said can stand at upwards of 14 feet tall and weigh anywhere from now get this 600 pounds to 6,000 pounds. Jeez. That's a wide berth of weight there to uh, to gauge something. So for a frame of reference, because I have no idea what 6,000 pounds could look like, 6,000 pounds is about half the weight of an adult elephant. So that's just a massive amount of weight. To keep its giant frame standing, it has long legs, but the strangest feature is that the legs are completely jointless. It has a long, drooping upper lip, sort of like a camel's upper lip, that has been stretched out. The head and neck are hairless, but the rest of the body, including its tail, consists of a long, bushy fur. Its ears appear to be elongated, with several flaps that end in a point, appearing a a little bit like Angel, your favorite Harry Potter character, Dobie the house elf. You're always going on about how much you love Dobie. Yeah. It's getting concerning sometimes i mean i play the mobile game of him so the mobile game yeah there's a mobile game harry potter game and you pl- you play as dobie i you there's something with dobie involved <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to look into this <laughs> lastly we have the who gags feet this is a major difference uh which would separate it from its ungulate cousins like the moose or camel ungulate both being a grand order for classifying large hooved animals and also one of my all-time favorite words. Just love saying it. Ungulate. Do you want to say it? Join an angel? Ungulate. <laughs> I don't think that's how it goes. Are you, are you Maddie Mo again? <laughs> Ask me why they call me Maddie Mo. That's a throwback from the last... Uh... Yep, from way back. That's a that's a callback to an absurd joke to an absurd movie. <laughs> the Hoogag has four toes that perfectly encircle the foot, so its tracks would not indicate if it was walking towards 
or away from you. So far, what do you think of our non-ungulate, house-elf-eared, kneecapless, droopy-lipped cryptid known as the Hoogag Angel? All I'm thinking is, how does it get to that weight? Like, I don't, I don't understand with droopy lips. It's gotta lips. be eating a massive amount of food, right? <laughs> yeah. And then to sustain that weight? With droopy lips, like, I mean, and it, and yeah, to sustain that weight, you can't, it has no knees, it doesn't bend, like, I don't, nothing makes sense. <laughs> no. It's like, it's like an MC Escher painting of an animal. First it's the monoliths, now it's the Hoogag's eating habits. Life is just crumbling around me, Angel. It's it, <laughs> Nothing is making sense anymore. But one thing does make sense. You know what other entity is also an ungulate? Um, an elephant? No. <laughs> I don't think it is. But what is are wild boars. So this is your oh, weekly no. reminder that those... Dastardly wild boars need to be cold and eradicated because they do millions and millions of dollars of property damage each year. <laughs> yes. Just to be aware of that. However, Angel, do you know one thing that is sacred and should never be harmed? Uh, no. Cotton Eye Joe's razor. <laughs> the axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. So where the heck... Did the Hoogag come from? Now, Angel, I'm having flashbacks to season one, the Hodag episode, of course. We once again venture into Lumberjack lore. So I hope you donned your Paul Bunyan cosplay outfit from last season. It's one of your hobbies, cosplaying Mm -hmm. as Paul Bunyan. So get snug in that flannel and tight jeans one more time. Oh, you better believe it. And I'm ready because this time, as you can see... I've dyed my skin blue, and I'll be playing the role of Babe. Are you ready to trudge into the woods and start our Hoogag hunt? You kind of look like a one of those creatures from Avatar instead. I don't know what that creature is. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Avatar, the uh, James Cameron film? Oh, I was thinking of the uh, anime. <laughs> Completely different yeah. property. <laughs> yeah. That's now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't look much like an oxen, I guess, but <laughs> it is what it is, right? All reports of the Hoogag place it in the Great Lakes region of America and Canada, with overflow into the north woods of Wisconsin and partially into Minnesota. So it's your Paul Bunyan neck of the woods right here we're talking about. In nineteen ten, William Thomas Cox wrote about the Hoogag in his book. Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods. According to the author, the Hoogag has some serious issues when it comes to everyday life. And this was something that you had just brought up, Angel. The floppy upper lip combined with its legs that won't bend prevents the Hoogag from being able to graze for food. Mm -hmm. It must browse about the woods looking for branches to gnaw on and tree bark to strip. So sort of like me. It is (laughs) physically unable to lay down as its legs simply won't bend and allow it to reposition itself from being you know, prone to then standing up. Because of this incapability to bend at the knee, the hoogag sleeps standing up or at least leaning against a tree. You know what this means, Angel? What? The hoogag would have been the ultimate rebel character on Game of Thrones. Literally unable to bend the knee, he is the Jon Snow of the cryptid world. 
Quite right. <laughs> it was a stupid one. It was a reach, but that's where we're at. It is even said there is a way to catch the hoogag. It's simply being sawing away at a tree, but you don't fell it. By weakening the tree, when the hoogag comes along and needs rest, when it leans on the tree, the weight of the animal, being 600 to 6,000 pounds, will make the tree fall down and the hoogag with it. With its unbending joints, it is unable to stand, or if you're lucky, the tree just falls onto it and kills the hoogag for you. Hunting complete, right? Yep. So what do you think about those tactics? Is it reasonable? It's reasonable, but it makes me wonder how did the hoogag survive this long? Like, it seems like the dumbest animal and it could just (laughs) easily get itself killed. Literally walks forwards and backwards. Um, It's, it's, I'm trying to think of it like if its legs are jointless, how well are it like hips and like ability to move? It, like, would it have to make really long, like, U-turns to get anywhere? Like, it it couldn't make sharp turns. I don't think it's physically capable of that. Well, they don't mention it, but maybe it just hops. <laughs> oh, God. 6,000-pound beast hopping through the woods. <laughs> the uh, the thing that I think about is, so to catch the hoogag, you got to notch potentially hundreds of trees in the woods because you don't know which tree it's going to lay against. Mm-hmm. So you're out there slightly cutting down trees. That seems really dangerous to me to leave a bunch of trees halfway cut down. Uh, I don't want to be going out in the woods. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in the in the if you're in the lumbering business, it'll help you out either way. <laughs> eventually, the trees will fall down, and either it killed a hoogag or you got your tree down eventually. Too. <laughs> yep, <laughs> the best of both worlds. The Hannah Montana of the lumberjack world, the hoogag. Yep. Here's the interesting thing that comes into play with the hoogag. You see the lumberjacks telling stories around the fire, like we detailed with the hodag episode, trying to, you know, initiate rookies in the area uh, to sort of scare them with the beasts that are out there in the woods. They may not have been the originators of this creature. My research took quite a turn when I started to really look at this thing. The hoogag, potentially angel, it goes back deep. Back to the time of one of your all-time favorites, the OG Roman naturalist, the natural philosopher, Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder? He's making an appearance. He's, I would say, the Carl Shooker of the Roman Empire. No way! Alive from 23 AD to 79 AD, Pliny the Elder, with the help of, you guessed it, Pliny the Younger, they put together a little book called Naturalis Historia, or Natural History. In chapter 16 of that groundbreaking book, he tells of an animal called the Aklis. It reads, There's also the Aklis, which is produced in the island of Scandinavia, and has never been seen in this city, although we have had descriptions of it for many persons, it is not unlike the elk, but has no joints in the hind leg. Hence, it never lies down, but reclines against a tree while it sleeps. It can only be taken by previously cutting into a tree and thus laying a trap for it, as otherwise it would escape through its swiftness. Its upper lip is so extremely large, for which reason it is obliged to go backwards when grazing. Otherwise, by moving onwards, the lip would get doubled up. So what do you think of Pliny the Elder's description of the Aklis? It's similar to the Hoogag, not exactly. So what do you think? 
uh, it sounded pretty exact to me. I mean, he talked about the lip. He talked about it not being able to bend its knees. He talked about it leaning against a tree. This one can graze. He So the Atlas is a step up to your oh. main concern with the Hoogag, right? Of yeah. him not being able to graze. So Maybe, maybe some information uh, got lost down the line and people assumed they couldn't graze. Maybe lost even in translation for poor Pliny mm. the Elder. Mm. I don't know. Some interesting things that I've also figured out in this research. So we have three things here. Two of them about your boy, Pliny the Elder. So if you recall, back to the Santa Claus episode, I had mentioned St. Nicholas and the Roman Emperor Diocletian, who had ushered in the great persecution in which St. Nicholas was arrested for several years. Well, I had mentioned that Diocletian was in my list of Roman emperors that I despised. <laughs> right below... As I'm sure you recall, Flavius Arcadius and right above Vespasian. So Pliny the Elder was best friends with Vespasian. So by proxy and of the company he kept, I also dislike Pliny the Elder. Mm -hmm. Pliny mm -hmm. the Younger, it's the touch and go, but <laughs> Pliny the Elder, uh-uh. The other thing, do you know how Pliny died? Pliny the Elder, of course. Um, no. So his best boy Vespasian granted Pliny the title of fleet commander of the Roman Navy. So Pliny just happened to be in the area when Mount Vesuvius exploded and destroyed both Pompeii and Herculaneum. Pliny gets the grand idea to cross the Bay of Naples to observe the explosion, and then he gets a message that Roman center Pompeius is on the opposite shore and needs rescuing. So Pliny takes a fast sailboat-like ship and wisps off, at that time being credited with saying, fortune favors the bold, sailing away to be the hero for the senator. So he makes it ashore, and then the wind dies down, stranding both Pliny and everyone that was out there to help him uh, on the shore. Do you know what Pliny does at that point, Angel? No. He decides to eat, bathe, takes a nap, that sort of thing. But then eventually everyone else is like, we got to get the hell out of here. Mount Vesuvius is blowing up. So just like the Hoogag or Pliny's Atlas, once Pliny was down, he couldn't stand back up. <laughs> so apparently, even with assistance, they could not stand Pliny up. So he was left behind to die. <laughs> is that poetic or what? Maybe it was a metaphor. The Atlas was him all along. All along was Pliny just out there. <laughs> Weak need Pliny, they always called him. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was very interesting. I think some people think he had like asthma and just had inhaled too much um, noxious fumes from the volcano and, and had died. And then they were like, well, screw this. We're getting the hell out of here. But poor Pliny, just like his Atlas, couldn't stand up. Other th interesting thing, because remember, I had three interesting things to say about this angel, is that this goes back even further. We have to go deeper. Oh, no. It goes back more? It goes back more. Decades earlier, to the OG emperor himself, Julius Caesar. And, of course, I'm talking about his sixth book of his Commentary de Bello Gallico, or Commentaries of the Gallic War. He states this about the elk. There are also elks, so-called. Their shape and dappled skin are like unto goats, but they are somewhat larger in size and have stumps of horns. They have legs without nodes or joints. They do not lie down or sleep, 
nor, if any shock has caused them to fall, can they raise or uplift themselves. Trees serve as couches they bear against them, and thus, leaning but a little, take the rest. When hunters have marked by their tracks the spot to which they are wont to betake themselves, they either undermine all the trees in that spot at the roots, or cut them so uh, so far through as to leave them just standing to outward appearance. When the elks lean against them after their fashion, their weight bears down the weakened trees, and they themselves fall along with them. So what do you think now of Caesar's unbending elk? Um, I'm kind of reminded of, I mean, it sounds, was he speaking from seeing it, or is this like an account that he heard? You know, this is really interesting, because I I actually read an entire history paper about somebody arguing that Julius Caesar either did or did not see an elk in his lifetime. But they sort of just came to the conclusion that his time spent in Gaul during the wars, he must have seen elk, as at that time there were most likely elk in that area. But the other argument was that maybe Julius Caesar saw like a younger or unhealthy elk that couldn't (laughs) stand properly. And that's he just based all of his assumptions of the elk on that like weird interaction that he had or that this was just like some underlying belief of the time of like these animals that they just didn't understand. Yeah. That they, they couldn't lie down. It was just sort of any pick your whichever one sounds best to you sort of scenario was like the conclusion of that paper. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm looking at a pic- looking at a picture of an elk. If you didn't know how animals looked or worked, you can see it and think, yeah, this thing has no knees because they're like high up in the body and it's kind of hidden and it's hind legs. You know, it's got this like backwards looking knee kind of thing, but that's actually it's heel. You know, that's a lot of things mm-hmm. that people don't realize. So it, it looks like it's something that doesn't have knees or doesn't can't lie down. I'm also reminded of like, um, uh, I remember hearing somewhere where, there, where Chinese people didn't actually know what a lion, they've never seen a lion before, but they've heard of lions and they would, oh, okay. you know, they've heard the description of it. So they would then depict lions based on what they've heard. So the lions that you see in, in Chinese art and, and like the festivals, that's why they don't look like actual lions. Hmm. It was just sort of the telephone game. They yeah. heard what one looked like and they drew it. Yeah. Other thing that pops into my mind is going back to season one, episode two, The Mothman. One of the arguments against the Mothman being real was, I don't recall who it was, but it was some professor. They argued that the people of West Virginia must have seen a sandhill crane and didn't know, like, in their lives had ever encountered a sandhill crane, so they were confused by what they saw. Like, that could potentially be the same thing that Julius Caesar found himself in. If he had seen an elk, maybe he just, that was his first experience with one, and he was like, oh my god, this thing's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, like, on top of that, there's definitely this, like, story of how to catch one by notching a tree and making it so if weight was pushed on it, uh, extensive weight, the tree would fall down. So that's something that has stayed through this story yeah. for uh, over 2,000 years at this point. So that is really interesting. Indeed. So then I got some news for you, Angel. What's that? We're going deeper. 
Oh my god, there's more? This goes back more. So there is a belief among ancient Greeks that animals like the elephant were incapable of bending their knees. And in fact, Aristotle wrote about the elephant and argued that it could indeed bend its knee. And it was like a heated debate of the time. But for some, the belief still existed and stuck that, you know, an elephant couldn't bend its knees. So we have ourselves at least 2,000 years unbending knee animals what are your thoughts I, I guess overall of the hugag Atlas, caesar's elk the greek's elephant uh or and then any theories that you may have or have seen i mean you just blow blown my mind uh i couldn't i didn't find that information about i mean i guess because pliny the elders uh version is not called the hugag so i didn't come across that in my and the the only reason I was able to locate that was I was, I was reading a a footnote in some historical paper and it mentioned Pliny the Elder and the Atlas and I was like well, what the hell is this thing and I just happened to look into it and was like oh my gosh this thing goes back millennia <laughs> yeah so maybe maybe you know you heard it here folks maybe we can update the Wikipedia page on the who gag and. You know, include a, a plenty. Oh, no, it's in there. Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> I don't I didn't really look at the Wikipedia for this one. Yeah, I just did a search for Pliny and it's there. <laughs> Son of a gun. All right. They were they were listening, Angel. But Your bunker is not but safe. There is no. Oh, yeah. There's a mention of Julius Caesar in there. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Apparently, we didn't do the easiest research possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting that you mentioned Julius Caesar because in my research I've uncovered something else that may be related to what you've talked about in a kind of roundabout way. So I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna talk about Julius Caesar just yet. So bear with me here. I'm barren. <laughs> there is a book called In the Limestone Valley: Pen Pictures of Early Days in Western Wisconsin, written by Sterling Wilson Brown and. In it, there's a chapter where he starts talking about this man who is kind of questioning the great men of of the past, searching for good men that to, that uh, that exist to that day, um, or at least in the day that this book was written, which I think was 1800s or 1900, exactly 1900. So is he sort of making the argument that there were no, like, the days of yesteryear had, like, the good men and the days of his of his lifetime, like, there were no heroes sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he, he mentions, like, Abraham Lincoln was a good man versus the men of his day that are just doing stuff to make a profit or, or you yeah. know. And he kind of goes on and he talks about how this is at least the belief of the man he's talking about in this chapter, which is... A man named James Kinley or Jim Kinley, and he, he the author describes this uh, uh, Jim Jim Kinley as a peculiar man who uh, is um, a man of many interests. He's is it you? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because we differ. This man and I by a lot. <laughs> he he gets super. F when when set on a task, he he puts all of his effort into it. When he's having fun, like at a party or whatever, he goes like 
hard 100% is kind of how he was described. Like everything he does, he does it at 100%. The man, uh, Jim has mentioned that if he, he could have easily uh, gotten a seat in the Senate if he had just bothered. You know, he's kind of like this dude, like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Um, he had an interest in logging and had contracts for quantities of pine timber for manufacturing. So he also had a lot of stories of of, of logging and limber, lumber stuff. So it kind of goes in, in hand in hand with what you've mentioned about the, the, the lumber industry. So he's he, got a... He sounds a lot like Gene Shepard too. Like yeah, yeah, I, perfectly I thought that, Gene Shepard from the I thought day. that too. He was a he had an eye for business and this you know, very similar to Gene Shepard. Um he uh he would tell stories of his exploits, I guess. And also apparently he was a good fiddler. He loved his his fiddling. You, yeah, you, I mean, you got to be a good fiddler back then. <laughs> and his favorite tune was what we now know as Turkey in the Straw. It had has different name had different names back in the day. I'm not gonna repeat them on here because they're just not relevant. <laughs> so yeah, he one of his stories was that he was uh, dealing with an encounter with this ferocious creature known as a Gyanther, which sounds like panther and guy put together. So I'm imagining it doesn't really describe it other than it's got like a horn <laughs> in it in the middle of its head. So like a unicorn thing. A but. unicorn panther? Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he goes, he, in the, the, the book, you know, kind of details the story. I kind of glossed over the story because it's not important what the story was. But it ends with saying that he's also, Jim has also talked about another, quote, terror of the woods known as the Hoogag. But then it goes on to say that it's actually pretty docile <laughs> or something similar. So I don't know why they refer to it as the terror of the woods. <laughs> They need to open up the source, I think, and find a, uh, a different, better describing word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but what's interesting is that he mentions the, who, the the author mentions the the who gag about how just like a one sentence phrase where it just mentions how it has um, the the claws on all sides of the feet, so you can't tell wh- which direction the, the steps are, and. You know, it's just a basic description of this moose-like creature. There's no other mention of it at all. No, it's just baffled me that he went on and on about the Gyanther, and I can't even find a thing about the Gyanther on the internet. But I can find the Hoogag has its own Wikipedia entry, but I, this one book only mentions it in, in the sentence, which is strange. So this Hoogag, you know, I looked into it, and I'm wondering, there's no mention besides how it looks, there's no mention of how it sounds, but... The fact that Julius Caesar has described something that looks like it, not called a hoogag, but it's an elk, right? Mm-hmm. And then then Pliny the Elder kind of talks about it. But there is a, a, a kazoo-like instrument called a hoogag. I can't find pictures of this instrument, but everywhere I see it described where it's not the, talk, the creature they're talking about. They're talking about this instrument that's kind of like a kazoo. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of kazoo, but it sounds kind of like uh <laughs> and that was a good kazoo impression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it you know, it's missing the buzziness, but there'd be more of a buzz. And I I'm pretty sure that's kind of like what an elk sounds like, sort of. Mm. So mm. So yeah, so here um here's the thing. I found a super secret document I'm not kidding. This is all true. <laughs> it's, 
But well, maybe not super secret because I found it. <laughs> but it used it used to be super secret until you found it. <laughs> it's it's called the ancient and honorable order of Eclampus Vitus. It's a handbook to some sort of uh, fraternity uh, brotherhood type deal, secret society kind of thing. Uh, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> there's a secret society involved. Yes, there's a secret society. At Clampus Vitus, according to the Wikipedia, at Clampus Vitus is some kind of what they call a dog Latin, which is just like fake Latin or something to, <laughs> to make to like, sound like Latin. Like like pig Latin or <laughs> hogzilla Latin? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to it in that direction. <laughs> the pigs have nothing to do. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. But, <laughs> they they so, got their hands and everything. <laughs> so so I'm reading through the document and, and in the beginning of the document it, it, you know there's this it kind of talks about the history of the the ECV you know society as they call themselves and and the, and by the way they called their initiates uh PBCs which stands for um poor blind candidate yeah it's okay uh, anyway so okay <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's this weird stuff, man. <laughs> um, so in the document, it mentions, it talks about the history of how this started, which talks about another document that has this, like, opening lines, I guess. Uh, I'm just going to skip to the second paragraph. It says, Eat Campus Vitus spread like wildfire through the mountains. Few indeed were the camps where the order's great horn, the Hugag, did not, on occasion, horsely bray. So, <laughs> what it's, a way to describe the instrument. Like yeah, it's it. it's yeah, it's it's using the word bray, which is something you would use, like you hear like donkeys and and you mm-hmm. know, kind of probably would describe the, the, an elk noise as well, right? An, the bray, or or you could say an ungulate, or yeah, exactly. So. The idea was that when the he says when the hugag blew, the brethren gathered from far and near. So essentially, somebody would blow on this instrument, and all the uh, members of the ECV would gather because that that signaled to them that they had a new uh, initiate, the, a PBC, and then they would do the, you know their rituals, whatever they do, you know, to initiate some poor poor soul. <laughs> Another article that kind of confirms it what I'm reading kind of says the same thing. It says the brethren were called together by the tinny brain of the Hugag, a big horn sounded in the street by the Royal grand musician there. And they were called clampers. So it says strict oh clamp, scla- <laughs> strict clamper rules required meetings to be held at any time before or after a full moon. They went all in on like the hooved horse, like mm-hmm. ungulate uh, yeah. family. So, <laughs> According to the Wikipedia, the the ECV society, their model of the their model was credo quia absurdum, which translates to I believe it because it is absurd. So well, apparently, no sense. <laughs> apparently, the secret society was kind of like a parody of the Freemasons and other uh, type of societies. So they weren't like super secret, you know, kind of they're kind of tongue in cheek. Right. But mm-hmm. people like this was still a thing. Like it wasn't like, aha, it's a joke. No, people still actually joined and were initiated 
as I mentioned, and they were expected to do stuff as initiates, like get somebody's beer or something like that. It was, according to, to the wiki, it says it's a fraternal organization dedicated to the preservation of the heritage of the American West, especially the history of the motherlode and gold mining regions of the area. What a thing to be committed to, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, members, they had different incarnations, apparently. Uh, the, there's a first incarnation, which then disappeared after the Civil War. That's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's a second incarnation, and, and then currently there's a third one. But we're going to focus on the first incarnation. The first incarnation, apparently, members included Adam, as in Adam and Eve. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, the first member known as uh, the first Clem Patriarch, <laughs> no, no. Patriarch Adam, then Philip D. Armour, as in, you know, Armour Hot Dogs. What? <laughs> the, the, hot, meat, the hot dog guys involved? Yeah, yeah the meat packer. John Moeller Studebaker, as in the vehicle Studebaker. Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, who owned the California Angels baseball team. I mean, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, that's going way back. Yeah. Uh, ECV also claims former President Ulysses S. Grant. U.S. Grant. My gosh. <laughs> they got to the White House, the clampers. Lord Sholto Douglas, J. Piermont Morgan. J.P. Morgan. Oh, my goodness. But uh, I don't I'm not gonna name my everyone. gosh. This ties <laughs> but, us to this ties us angel to the Mongolian death worm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what's his name? Andrews wor- went wor- to J.P. Morgan for financing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, claims have also been made to Solomon, Augustus Caesar, and Julius Caesar, as as well as Andrew Jackson and some other presidents. For those two, why would they be involved in a organization that has like fake Latin? When they spoke Latin. Like, was fake Latin a thing back then? <laughs> well, I mean, well, it says, uh, the last sentence here says, these fanciful claims show ECV's propensity for not taking much of anything particularly seriously. Oh, oh so maybe U.S. Grant and the hot dog guy were, really weren't group members then. The next sentence after that says, there is evidence to support the ECV claim to Ulysses S. Grant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were prepared for my question. My God. <laughs> yep, yep. The, the, another one that I find interesting is they also claim um, Joshua A. Norton, um, a name you probably don't know, Joshua Abraham Norton. Um, he's got a Wikipedia entry. So, you know, I checked them out. Apparently, he proclaimed, he self-proclaimed himself back in 1859 as Emperor of the United States. <laughs> Dang. He went above U.S. Grant and became Emperor. Yeah, he, he apparently he was a businessman and he lost his fortune because he invested a, 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 a $25,000, I believe, and on Peruvian rice. So at the time, China had a shortage, a rice shortage. So they stopped exporting because, you know, they needed to keep the food for themselves. Gosh, the great rice famine of China. <laughs> so Emperor Norton, he wasn't Emperor Norton at the time, but <laughs> I'm going to refer to him as that from now on. Uh-huh. Emperor Norton you know, thought, hey, what if, you know, the, 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 he was in California at this time, San Francisco. So he says, what if I, you know, buy the rice coming in t- from this ship and then sell it to these people? So he bought 25,000 pounds, uh, uh, dollars worth of rice from some ships that were coming in 
And then Can you imagine how much rice that is and back that amount of money back in that day. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. God. He, yeah. He, he was going to make a killing and, until some other shipments came with more rice. And he was like, hey, what the hell? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and so he tried to renege on his contract, but the, he took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And they said, nah, dude. <laughs> You can't have your money back. You yeah, so, rice. so he lost his money. And then, uh, you know, he, I guess, uh, you know, he was living poor for a while. And then afterwards, he was tired of the United States and what they were doing. I don't know in terms of what. And that's when he started. Well, claim- they weren't giving him his rice money back. Well, that, so. yeah. <laughs> among other things, I guess. He started claiming to be the, pre- uh, the emperor of the United States. And he started sending that information to the newspapers. And the thing is, people like, like this guy. Like they started cheering him on. He was at, at some point he was arrested and everyone was mad about it. And so I guess they let him go. And, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a show of, of absolute royalty, he pardoned the, the police officers that arrested him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, Such a gracious emperor. <laughs> and apparently every time he walked by the police, they, they would salute him after that. What the hell? What's going on in America? <laughs> and, and not only that, but he, he says as emperor, he would punish anyone who called San Francisco Frisco. <laughs> what? Is that punish, like a pet peeve? That was, yeah, that, punishable by some amount of money or something. Like, they have to pay a fine. And that stuck to this day. Like A lot of San Franciscans oh, don't like yeah. when people say Frisco. And, and I've never heard I, it been called that. So, I, I, thank you, Emperor. It and worked. A, yeah, apparently it was all because of him. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a fun little side <laughs> side news little, there. Little side quest we took with the Emperor of America, and yep. I also learned that apparently Peru makes rice. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back to the 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 C. The, what the hell were they called? The C E C V. The Clompers. Uh, yeah, the Clompers. So there's this guy named Ephraim B. Ephraim B was an in and stable owner, but he was a member of the ECV. At the age of 60, he was he became the captain of the Doddridge County Militia. Uh, Doddridge County in West Virginia. They protected the area from roving Confederate horses, forces. Oh, my God. It was even better. I thought it was horses, like <laughs> roving horses that were out to get yeah, people. No. Confederate horse uh, forces, horse thieves, and outlaws. The militia also had a part in the Underground Railroad hiding escaping v- slaves in hidden cellars of homes and also in, in Jaco, Jaco Cave. And apparently they, they, would, they played a great joke. On their local West Virginia neighbors, they threw a big party at that cave. So while everyone was there, they got the 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 slaves that were hiding, and they kind of just whisked them away, so nobody would notice them because they were all at the party. <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> so thanks to the ECV, I guess. Uh huh. The ECV I also go to a cave party. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, B, FRMB felt that an organization was needed which was less exclusive than other organizations such as the Masons, the Elks, and the Oddfellows. So, pretty much, they allowed anyone to join this society, mm-hmm. but they had to, like, um, you know, go through the initiation rites. I think uh, here, when a stranger came to town, 
clampers would inform him that to do business in the town, they had to join the secret society. <laughs> so anyone that came in to do business with them just had to join. It almost sounds like blackmail <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the guy said, fine, I'll join. So guess what? They get their who gag. They play. And all the all the fellows ECB, the clampers, get together and, and do whatever it is they did to initiate these people. Some of these things, though, I, I mean, they seem so far out to me. Like, I just like they tried. It says here. It's been rumored that ECV brethren within the U.S. Army even attempted to bring the order as far as south, as far south as Mexico City, following the Mexican-American War as a gesture of brotherhood and reconciliation. Interesting. But all record has vanished of this. Oh God. <laughs> or has it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says that they were kind of uh, this this new they were kind of into this uh political po- policy known as nativism which get this is where they where people were against the the they were promoting the interests of the native inhabitants against those of immigrants and by native inhabitants i mean the original settlers <laughs> oh no no <laughs> it's this this is the craziest thing i've ever learned about any of this just from looking up Hoogag. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Hoogag, for <laughs> the joy you have brought into our lives. So is there any more to add about uh, this well, insane thing? All I know, it's my belief that James Kindley was dropping hints that he was aware of this uh, ECV society. Because, it, it you know, it, it all started from uh, Ephraim B. in the in 1850 and that book that where they talk about james kinley was written in 1900 so i think he was kind of subtly throwing in you know i know about the who gag the the blowing of the horn i'm i'm, I'm into that kind of thing because you know he's mm-hmm. described as this super interesting man who knows everything uh he was all, even described as politically he was all over the place and he liked to argue with people like if you said something he would use he would say the opposite argument just to Get into oh, an argument about it. One of those yeah. dudes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think James Kinley was in on it. and Well, I mean, do you think just because of the nature of that society that they were then in on, like, the naming of the instrument after the Hoogag? That's the thing. I mean, if Julius Caesar did a name of the Hoogag, Pliny the Elder did a name of the Hoogag, mm-hmm. I think they maybe gave it, they knew of the creature, and then they said, we're going to call it the Hoogag. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the Americanized version of it. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, instead of Gene Shepard coming up with the Hodag, it's like a group of people, right? They came up with the instrument and said, this is the sound it makes when it makes its call, right? And, you know, they're, they're, they're in the similar kind of fields and, uh, you know, mining, gold mining, and I guess it goes into the lumber. That, that same yeah, way. he had a, uh, I think one of his interests was, <laughs> of all of the things to have an interest in, lumbering. Yep. So he has a, a connection there to the, uh, yep. where he'd be able to get the, draw the lore of the hoogag from. Yep. Yep. My gosh. <laughs> Groundbreaking journalism here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've been flagged by several governments now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the ghost of Ulysses S. Grant is coming for you tonight. <laughs> so where did the Hoogag go? So from two different sources, I found possible reasons as to why the Hoogag is 
R.I.P. No longer with us. William Cox's Fearsome Creatures book from 1910 that I uh, spoke about earlier says that the last Hoogag was killed on the Turtle River in Minnesota. It was a young Hoogag of only 1,800 pounds and was found stuck in the mud. It was then knocked in the head by Mike Flynn of Cass Lake. So we have Angel, our villain of the story, Mike Flynn of Cass Lake, Minnesota, killed the last Hoogag, you son of a bitch. I just want to know, how did they get that guy's name? And how did he <laughs> prove that, you know, yeah, I, ki- I killed the damn thing. <laughs> I showed up and I gave it a good bonking on the head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I find things in the mud, I kill it. <laughs> that's that's me, Mike Flynn. <laughs> His name will live on in infamy as the, the last ki- who, got, who got killer. Oh, man curse you mike flynn of cast lake minnesota <laughs> another story comes from the book paul bunyan in michigan Uper logging lore and legends by john scott the lore tells us there is a specific reason a skeleton has never been found the hoogag dissolves when it hits the ground and dissolves even faster when there is rain or snow so i mean in the north woods of wisconsin upper minnesota uh for a good portion of the year there's a lot of snow and rainfall so who gags are just they're just waiting to dissolve how did they survive this long i just don't understand (laughs) this creature just like seems like it was meant to be killed (laughs) (laughs) it evolved slowly and then it realized it just can't survive in this world (laughs) i hate this world and i dissolve away (laughs) god has cursed me with jointless legs and a big fat upper lip. I can't even eat things off the ground. An an interesting thing I found is in one of those books you mentioned, and another one I found is that they they gave it a, a Latin name. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. one one of them is Rhythmi Rhythmilps inarticulatus. Oh, because I can't <laughs> yeah. move its joints. And the other one is Reclinor rigidus. <laughs> so I'm 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 curious here. Is that the fake? dog latin it could be i mean maybe it's all come from the same people i'm telling you because those maybe. don't that doesn't sound like proper nomenclature for uh like scientific naming of a creature <laughs> i think the ecv had a hand in creating the hooga <laughs> so why don't we do it we'll jump straight into the rubric of power and see <laughs> if the hooga can fell santa claus and become our champion for the season so um how many sentences can you tell about the powers of the Hoogag Angel? <laughs> that will probably equal the uh, points that you're going to give it, I think. <laughs> I was going to say less than one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't think it has. It has like anti-powers. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, oh, it falls to the ground. It dissolves. <laughs> most, uh, like weakest, most killable, <laughs> just pointless creature out there. It's, I don't know. It's like the, the, the character in a TV show that everyone just shits on for no reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's the who gag right there. So did, did they Pretty... even reach a one? <laughs> uh, I was generous. I, I Yeah, I give it a one. Give one. Okay. <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat here. The It's the only remarkable thing about it is that it can't bend its knees. And that is quite the detriment for a 
wildlife animal to live on its own. And it, it certainly never talks about the hoogag being like a herd animal. Like, so it's not power in numbers for the old hoogag. It seems like a solitary creature. I mean, it really seems like the Eeyore of the animal kingdom. And mm-hmm. it's just meant to be out there and be sad and die. So I gave it a one. How about the detectability? Maybe, maybe the strongest feature of the hoogag. Let's see. According to that book, it's extinct. There's no way you can find it anymore. Freaking Mike Flynn bonked the last one in the head because it was stuck Mike in the mud. Mike Flynn of Cass Lake, man. That's the ultimate way to catch one because it didn't quite fall over, so it can't dissolve. No, it's he, presumably stuck standing up. No, here's and the he thing. And he just kills it. Here's the thing. It has existed since the time of Julius Caesar. And Mike Flynn ends up making it extinct all these years later? God. Uh, A curse upon Cast Lake, Minnesota, just for having Mike Flynn live there. Oh, man. I mean, this is like discussing dinosaurs. I mean, detectability, you know, you you can't find any unless you, you know, think it's a bird. You know, know, make a park. Yeah. You know, you can say an elk is like it's descended, but it's not the same thing. Mm-mm. Yeah, so you know how I feel about detectability. I give it a three point five. <laughs> Did you? you just... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was a joke or not. <laughs> um, yeah, I can never get a straight up four. <laughs> the way that I uh, looked at it, the way that it, its toes are designed to make it like a a fifty fifty shot of trying to follow it. Either it's going away from you or <laughs> it was coming towards you. Mm-hmm. The uh, I guess the idea is that it. It can be caught by making a tree trap and making it fall down. But then, how the hell are you supposed to find it? Because when the body hits the ground, it dissolves. So it's it's got its own like defense from being eaten when mm-hmm. it's dead. And then, I don't know, it's just... <laughs> I'm really stuck up, I think, on the dissolving part. Because am I crazy to think that, like, why would you hunt something that dissolves when it falls on the ground? Like, if you if you kill it and, like catch it from falling on the ground does the meat not dissolve or like if you killed it and it falls does it start dissolving immediately D- does the meat you cut off it not dissolve there's a lot of questions that i have about who gag meat and the properties that it takes to or the scenarios that it takes for it to start dissolving not to mention elsewhere i've read that you know to kill the who gag by notching the tree so that it falls over it I read that it, they they would do that so that they can go ahead and eat its meat. No mention of it dissolving, so I don't know. So maybe if it falls with the tree, it lands on the tree, <laughs> it so it's not quite tree. all the way tipped over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's it's just there for the taking, uh, like all the hoogag meat you could want because <laughs> the thing's six thousand pounds. Yeah, gonna need a lot of refrigerators for the hoogag. <laughs> It's over detectability. I gave it a two. (laughs) (laughs) How about the the lore of the Hoogag? Oh, man. If I had found your your research, I might have given it a better score. I mean, even with my research, I didn't give it that good of a score. I mean, it's just... It's either an instrument or this creature just (laughs) doesn't... I don't... It baffles me how... I think maybe that's its superpower to confuse me as to how it survived for so long. Mm-hmm. 
1.5 for Mystique lore. <laughs> I'm not much higher, even after everything I looked at. So from what I found, I, you know, I really enjoyed that this story has been around for potentially 2,000 years. So mm-hmm. from Lumberjack perspective, it's a great way to initiate rookies to the woods. You know, like, look, like point over, see that bent tree over there? Who gag did it? And <laughs> I like the sort of, I like that sort of stuff. And beyond that, it just seems like, people in ancient times just really didn't understand animal physiology and they're like mm-hmm. that thing can't lay down <laughs> and then went on with their day or something like that yeah. no like follow through on really investigating it. it's like that thing can't lay down on to <laughs> something else in my life mm-hmm. making a, some pottery so uh, that makes it to me sort of lose the aura and mystery of it and it's more like uh, they just really didn't understand how elk legs work. So I think yeah. that dropped some lore for me. I gave it a two. Yeah. Um, how about the cunning? The poor, the cunning of the poor Hoogag Angel. I'm I'm looking at the score that I gave it. I'm like, why did I give it such a high score now? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I'll just start off by saying I gave it a one. I just don't get why I gave it a one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it doesn't do anything <laughs> yeah uh, i'm in the same boat i feel like this thing's just dumb as the stump that it fell on <laughs> and it just walks around and eats twigs and bark <laughs> not like physically barks it eats tree bark so yes. it gets worse and uh, and then dies and then dies and dissolves away <laughs> it either like, uh, it either can't get up because it fell off a tree or it, it gets snowed on <laughs> and dies falls in the mud and mike flynn bonks on the head with the club <laughs> Uh, who guy gets a one for cunning and intelligence? Yeah, and maybe even worse off the pop culture of the who gag. I, y- you know, they gotta do, give it better marketing. I mean, Gene Shepard knew what he was doing. Yeah, he 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 caught the damn hodag and he said, "Hey, I'm charging you guys to see it. Look at this thing. Nobody's done that with the who gag. Like, come on, it needs its its moment to shine. I think because." Yeah. With its comp- how it's completely dumb can be made to be a charming thing if you can you mm-hmm. know, revive that image of the hoogag. But yeah. considering it's extinct, I mean, I don't know. Sort sort of like the Suchinoko has sort mm-hmm. of this. If you look up the, like the imagery of the Suchinoko, is very like like cutesy. There's a lot of yeah. like hearts around it. And it's very like anime style. Like yep. oh, Suchinoko so cute. Like that could very easily mm-hmm. be done for the hoogag. It's just ripe for the picking, but. Uh, I guess people just don't know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard one for me. A one. You know, uh, Hoogag is a dud. There is not even a beer. He is on the same what? level as John Titer in the beer game. My so God. My disappointment was palpable. I, my My tongue is swelling from disappointment. And... I think if a hoogag drink were to be made, it would have to be some sort of like gin and tonic drink, some real pine needle stuff going on to invoke the name of the hoogag. So it'd probably be better served as a mixed drink than than a beer. But to my knowledge, that's not even out there. It left a sour taste. I I did it. I dropped it below a one to a zero in pop culture. Straight. My God. A straight hoogag egg. Because there's no stories that it doesn't lay eggs, so I'm gonna 
say that it does. <laughs> and it gets a who gag egg and pop culture. So what does your score add up to, Angel? I get an eight. I myself am sitting on a six for the who gag. We put that into the rubric of power algorithm, getting a seven for the who gag. So right on the heels of the buckled shoes of Santa Claus, or really not quite so much. He's <laughs> quite far behind Santa Claus. Uh, uh, not even a valiant effort out of the who gag, really. I was going to try to be nice, but it, it can't be. <laughs> he, he flubbed it. He really, uh, this was his match to win and he, he bombed. And I may add that this is the lowest score we've ever given a cryptid. I think by far, too, isn't it? Yep. Like at yep. least two and a half points, maybe? Yep. Our lowest score in, in the first season was a 10. No, a 9.5. Was that Hogzilla? Yeah. Oh. Couldn't even beat Hogzilla, who really <laughs> isn't even a cryptid. He's mm-hmm. just a big a boar. Big old, big old... <laughs> De- uh, semi-mortal <laughs> a semi-immortal uh forced perspective camera <laughs> pig <laughs> who gag disappoints again my tongue still swelling in disappointment any any last words for who gag as we uh push him over and let him dissolve into the netherworld it had so much potential i mean it's just i think it was doomed to fail from the start this this creature like whoever decided to describe it just says oh it, it can't do anything and they're like oh crap like what else can we say about it well uh it's got a big old lip <laughs> why why does it have a big lip <laughs> oh man it's just i don't know like i said doomed to from the beginning it's like somebody started the effort of trying to make a unique creature and then they're like okay its knees won't bend i've heard that thing before that's kind of cool mm-hmm. it's gonna have a upper lip and then like the guy had a heart attack and stopped writing <laughs> and someone found his notes to the lumberjack camp two days later and like maybe this thing killed old steve <laughs> we gotta is... find the who gag <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and he just this... never finished the creating of this monster this is the equivalent the, the, this is the li- literary equivalent of those works of arts that have been remastered by some amateur hand <laughs> that oh, comes no. out looking like a little monkey or whatever. Uh-huh. The poor <laughs> Jesus Christ picture. Yup. With his fuzzy hair. <laughs> For me, I don't know, final thoughts on it being from the Greeks to the Romans to the Great Lakes, Lumberjacks. The, the, the story was pretty much the same. Some small uh, changes. They described animals that were exotic foreign you know i i read the whole damn paper about julius caesar and him may or may or may not have seen an elk sometime in his life so there's <laughs> i guess some serious discussion about that sort of thing because yeah when when an oddity like that is found in a historical record it piques a lot of people's interest of like ooh, is this is this real or yeah. is it just a a person that's respected in history uh just being incorrect and you know not understanding the fully natural world around them it could have been an ancient alien too so <laughs> we have that yeah. um but it's just remarkable how long this story has been around of this animal that cannot lie down so 
what, cool. what what intrigues me is like now that it's been made extinct like we can't continue its legacy unless we we say yeah the hoogag isn't extinct we've seen one and just keep keep the the myth keep, alive yep keeping the hoogag alive keep them walking on into the horizon <laughs> as the sun sets he won't dissolve this time mike <laughs> flynn's probably dead so he's not killing another one yeah unless his descendants are all anti-hoogag too and <laughs> out there he's like the movie dragonheart with bowen trying to hunt down dragons yeah. to the last one just thought of a, a good tv series you know the hunt the hunt for the last hoogag where mm-hmm. the mike flynn's uh descendants just hand down the the ancient weapon that's used to destroy this thing and then they're searching for it because they heard <laughs> of a sighting and that one can have dennis quaid in it too so yep. come on netflix we can be uh the story writers we got this <laughs> yeah nobody's else nobody else has the the uh the rights for the who gag so why not us so with that being said about the who gag we have something else in our horizons we have another foray into the curio side of the world we have a combination a double header just like before the baghdad battery and the tropa stones where i don't know how that went we have now Crystal Skulls and the Iceman Curse. So two curious things out there. That's are we inadvertently making another Ancient Aliens episode, Angel? I don't think so. <laughs> if I find out that there's an alien theory about this Iceman Curse, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> I can't even think that grotesquely of what will happen. Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so how can uh, people contact us, Angel, if they want to find out more or interact with the show? Well, people can tweet at us at Cracking Curios and any questions you have. You can hashtag with hashtag Cracked Cryptids. Also, make sure to tag at Carl Shooker in there because he has a lot of explaining to do. Like, for example, why hasn't he talked about the who gag? Hmm. Just, just saying. You can also uh, follow us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids, where we post pictures. Sometimes some behind-the-scenes pictures hmm, of us recording, um, and reminders to listen to our episodes and other fun little things that you know might come up in the future. There's, there's a picture on the Instagram of <clears throat> of you in the search for Skunk Ape. Uh, yeah potentially i don't know did you have the contra bassoon (laughs) with you on that expedition uh that's i was testing uh, some prototypes at that time yes yes um but it's just a picture so you don't see anything and you don't hear anything you gotta keep it under wraps you know (laughs) (laughs) you can also uh email us at um cracking cryptids and curios at gmail.com is there any update to the uh, strange Florida man cackling cave dweller. The, Has anyone uh, affectionate, up with that yet? affectionately named Robort? <laughs> after uh, after some run-ins from uh, people in my life, last I heard, you know, I got I, it wasn't an email this time. It was a mysterious note left in my bunker. I don't know. Oh, no. Somebody that means somebody found it. Somebody found me. <laughs> And I'm not too sure if I should leave or not, but 
you know, the, the bunker says something like search in the lake. And I'm like, oh, no, this is like Randonautica all over <laughs> oh, again. No, that damn lake. <laughs> There's got to be something in there. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I did search in the lake and I, I didn't I didn't see much. I did hear some strange laughter, but I don't know if that was just people laughing like normal. But it's well, just like the who gag. We got to go deeper. <laughs> it's it's a haunting laugh. I, I got to tell you that. Just like that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be out anywhere and hear that. <laughs> Is Hoogag going to get the buckle? <laughs> <laughs> the Hoogag? Oh, my God. This is, I hate this skip buckle thing. <laughs> Does it make any sense? What's he going to get the buckle for? He can't, he can't bend down to get <laughs> he it. Can't, he can't. <laughs> And by the way, that message I sent out to, to Pamela back in John Titer's episode, I never heard back from her, so she clearly didn't get the buckle. Maybe so, Mike Flynn got her, too. Maybe. So I'm handing over the buckle to the Who Gag. Maybe he knows what to do with it. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. This is my sad song. <laughs>